Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, a new development with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Also, Christian finance guru Dave Ramsey is throwing a big staff Christmas party that is drawing national attention. And in this age of celebrity flameouts, we highlight the lives of two men who served God and their neighbors quietly and faithfully for decades. But we begin today with an investigation of possible abuses of the Payroll Protection Program. Yet the Payroll Protection Program, PPP as it's often called, was designed to help struggling organizations keep workers on their payroll, workers that would otherwise have been laid off because of the COVID crisis. When an organization applies for PPP funds, in fact, it has to affirm that the funds are actually going to save jobs. But it appears that some so-called Christian organizations may be abusing the program. Yep. For months, the Trinity Foundation, which is based in Dallas, Texas, has investigated televangelists who are receiving PPP forgivable loans. And they found out that at least $78.6 million in loans were given to religious TV networks, independent religious TV stations, TV preachers, and churches and ministries that are associated with those TV programs. Uh, The total could exceed $82 million if we include all also churches that have 24-7 streaming channels in uh, the same class as television. But it's not illegal to receive these funds. No, it's not illegal at all. In fact, back in August, Ministry Watch published a list of hundreds of Christian organizations and churches that received the loans. What's important here is that many of these organizations we're highlighting now, though, don't appear to have actually needed the money. Uh, for example, Trinity Broadcasting of Texas received a $3.3 million loan, even though its parent organization may have close to $500 million invested in security. Word of God Fellowship, better known as the Daystar Television Network, purchased a Gulfstream jet just days after being approved for a loan. I should add that after that story broke, Daystar paid back its PPP loan with interest. And I understand that these two organizations are not alone. No, they're not. Not by a long shot. Living Word Christian Center up in Minnesota received a loan after acquiring two jets in a space of about six months. America's largest megachurch, Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church in Houston, received a loan of about $4.4 million. Elevation Church, which is here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live, operated by televangelist Steve Furtick, got a $3.6 million loan. And we reported here at Ministry Watch that Elevation Church took in $91 million last year and made a profit of $26 million. So they clearly didn't need the cash. Jay Seculo, uh, who runs the American Center for Law and Justice, received a $1.2 million PPP loan again whenever that ministry had tens of millions of dollars on the assets. And I think the thing that one of the ones that was kind of the most interesting to me is Mac Hammond, who runs Living Word Christian Center, acquired a Cessna 650 jet in October of 2019 and a second jet in March of this year 
weeks after receiving a loan for $2.7 million. Wow. So what's going to happen to these preachers and their organizations? Will there be any oversight or scrutiny? Well, probably not from the government, except, you know, maybe in the court of public opinion, which is what, of course, you and I are pleading to right now. Uh, When the stories about Daystar broke, as I mentioned, uh, they did pay the money back, uh, but other ministries haven't indicated that they will. It's uh, still early, though, and it's possible that some of these ministries will ultimately do the right thing. And speaking of doing the right thing, let's turn our attention to another story in the news this week. One of the apologists at Ravi Zacharias International Ministries is calling on that organization to take responsibility for its founders' alleged sexual abuse victims. That's right. An apologist with RZIM, uh, Dr. Max Baker-Hitch, said that the ministry needs to make what he calls meaningful reparations to the alleged sexual abuse victims of Ravi Zacharias if those allegations are confirmed. Uh, Dr. Baker-Hitch is a senior tutor with Ravi Zacharias's Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, and he sent a five-page letter to RZIM's senior leaders and said that the ministry had lost trust both internally and externally because of the recent scandals. The letter was addressed to Sarah Davis, who is the CEO of RZIM, and Michael Ramsden, RZIM's president, and others in the RZIM senior leadership team. Do you think that the letter is going to have an impact? I mean, after all, Sarah Davis, the CEO, is also the daughter of Ravi Zacharias. So I imagine that it's going to be tough for her to make tough decisions about her own father. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and it uh, points to the dangers of nepotism in these large Christian ministries. However, RZIM has hired an independent firm to investigate these allegations of wrongdoing by Ravi Zacharias, so they are finally taking some steps at least in the right direction. And I understand that one of the reforms Baker Hitch is advocating for is a change that you have also been advocating for as well. That's right. Uh, RZIM currently claims the so-called church exemption and doesn't release its Form 990 to the public. And that form would, by the way, reveal the salaries of RZIM senior executives. At Ministry Watch, uh, we believe that releasing a Form 990 should be an essential for Christian organizations. Baker Hitch thinks that taking this step would help restore the reputation of the ministry. And these are his words. The reality is that Ravi's reputation is in tatters, but his legacy, his team, need not be. If we choose to act justly and do the right things, we could become known as the gold standard for how to recover from a tragic situation such as this and move forward in a way that beautifully demonstrates the faith that we commend. Now, Warren, let's take a look at one more story before we go to our first break, and that's the story of Dave Ramsey's Christmas party. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Ramsey Solutions is the name of the company that he founded, a best-selling author and radio host, of course. Uh, he was going to host a Boots and Barbecue party, a large in-person Christmas party for hundreds of his staff members at the company's Franklin, Tennessee headquarters. By the way, I've been to that headquarters. It's really a, a, an amazing place, and he's got a really great operation there. 
But they also had an outbreak of more than 50 cases of COVID at the company's headquarters uh, as late as mid-November. The invitation, which was sent to about 800 staffers in a newsletter, uh, said that no children were allowed at the Christmas bash and that employees were limited to only one guest apiece. But there was also no mention of masks either. In staff meetings and on his radio program, Dave Ramsey has described masks and other COVID-19 prevention strategies as a sign of fear. And um, they don't require masks in the office. Dave Ramsey himself has been a vocal opponent of the masks, and he's also, though, been requiring uh, his staff to show up for work. And he said that he wanted to start a campaign against masks. Well, Warren, I'm sure that a lot of people listening are probably uh, saying, good, good job for Dave Ramsey. Well, you're right. I, you know, obviously, there are people on both sides of this story. In fact, when we ran this story on uh, the Ministry Watch website this week, I got a lot of those kind of comments. And I want to be clear, the reason we publish such stories is not to pass judgment on Dave Ramsey, but because we think our readers and listeners are adults and can and should handle this information to make their own decisions. But part of the information they also need here is that Ramsey Solutions, which, as I said, still requires its employees to report for work and doesn't require them to wear masks, has reported not only the 50 cases of COVID in November that I just mentioned, but more than 100 cases uh, out of the 800 employees since COVID uh, started, since the pandemic started earlier this year. In the company newsletter, though, Ramsey said something a lot like what I just said a few moments ago. He said this, we know that many of you have felt pressure from family and friends, some of whom think you are weird for still going to work. Fortunately, we work in a place uh, that is used to being called weird, the newsletter continued, and it also highlighted Ramsey Solutions' countercultural approach to business. Well, Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, the stories of two men who prove that not all preachers have gone bad. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, Warren, we don't often do obituaries here on Ministry Watch, but you've got a couple obituaries this week. So before we jump into the individual stories, can you explain why you wanted to feature these guys? Yeah, I think I can. You know, we do a lot of stories here, like 
the kind of stories we did in the first segment, stories of ministry leaders who get caught in scandal. Uh, Now, I want to be clear that I think those stories are vital. I know they're sometimes tough to hear, but I don't apologize for them. These stories provide a measure of justice for victims. They provide accountability and oversight for the ministries and those ministry leaders, and they can provide lessons for all the rest of us. But I think it's really important to remember that the vast majority of Christian leaders serve faithfully, they serve sacrificially, and they have no desire for celebrity status. And one of these guys was Lee Stone. Yeah, Lee Stone is a pretty remarkable guy. I first learned about his story uh, from my friend and former Colson Center colleague, John Stone Street. John knew Lee Stone, and this is how John described him in a recent Breakpoint commentary. He said that Lee Stone spent decades as a volunteer girls basketball coach at a little Christian school that I attended and as the pastor of a small country Baptist church in Virginia. For 34 years, he led the local rescue mission in town, helping men and women who were down and out with alcoholism, addiction, and homelessness. Often the same men and women over and over again. Lee Stone was a quiet man, and he walked with a limp. He was certainly no celebrity. I can't say for sure, but I'm willing to bet a lot of money that he never had an Instagram account. However, what's clear, both from his obituary and from the tributes that poured in on social media, is that Lee Stone was a man who loved others deeply and was loved by many as well. He left his community better without ever building his platform. So those were John Stone's reach words. Let me tell you what the local newspaper said about him. Lee's legacy, that paper said, is one of serving God with the compassion of Jesus Christ. Now, that's what the secular newspaper said about him, which I think is pretty cool. That legacy and Lee's impact were quietly built over a lifetime. I should also add, Natasha, that he survived by his wife of 65 years, four children, 23 grandchildren, and 43 great-grandchildren. Wow, that is such a wonderful story. And Lee Stone's story is not the only story of faithfulness that you have this week. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Ron Lidner, uh, maybe a little more famous than Lee Stone, um, he, he was not a celebrity preacher, though. Ron and his brother Al were leaders in the sport fishing industry. Uh, Ron Lidner died a couple of weeks ago. He was 86 years old, and uh, several of the obituaries described him not only as a member of the Sport Fishing Hall of Fame, uh, a famous fisher of walleyes, but also as a fisher of men. And by the way, for those of you who are not really into fishing, uh, maybe I should say that Ron and his brother Al founded In Fisherman Magazine, which is one of the top sport fishing magazines in the world. And they also invented a number of popular fishing lures, including the Lindy Rig. If you're a fisherman, you probably know about the Lindy Rig, which sold millions and millions over the years. But Lindner was also a hard-drinking and hard-living man when he was a young adult. He didn't come to Christ until he was in his 40s. That was in 1978. But he then quickly led his brother to the Lord and others in his family. And ever since, he's used his celebrity status, at least in the fishing world, to point other people to Christ. Uh, Among his ministry activities was a book that he wrote with his brother, Al. It was called Reflections at First Light, a Fisherman's Devotional. And that book became a bestseller. 
Wow, two great stories that, as you say, are sort of an antidote. I mean, you might say a palate cleanser after some of the stories of scandal that we cover. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Now, Warren, before we take another break, let's take a quick look at a couple of other hard news stories. Uh, first up is the story of critical race theory. And I know Ministry Watch has covered that issue in the past, but what's the latest? Yeah, the president of the National African American Fellowship in the Southern Baptist Convention has asked for a meeting of six seminary presidents who recently declared that an academic set of ideas that's known as critical race theory is incompatible with the denomination's faith statement. Now, that Pastor Marshall Osbury uh, is also a first vice president of the predominantly white Southern Baptist Convention. He said in a statement that was released to Baptist Press this week, we affirm that systematic racism exists, and like all Southern Baptists, we oppose racism in all its forms. That, by the way, was exactly what the six college presidents said. But then he added a statement that seemed to support critical race theory. We do realize that there are theories and constructs that help us see and discover otherwise undetected systemic racism in institutions and in ourselves. I should probably explain that critical race theory focuses on structural racism in institutions, and it's been a hot topic of really heated discussion in Southern Baptist churches. A lot of folks think that critical race theory really has its roots in Marxism and is antithetical to Christian beliefs. Osberger, though, affirmed the authority of Scripture, but he also added this, our seminary presidents are good men, and they had good intent, but the optics of six Anglo brothers meeting to discuss racism without having ethnic representation in the room in 2020 at worst looks like paternalism and at best, insensitivity. The only outcome can be from their life experience, which really ignores the broader family of Southern Baptists. I I should add that uh, the Reverend Emery Barry, a Decatur, Georgia pastor, is also a member of the African-American Pastors Fellowship, uh, and he said that the seminary president's decision to release their statement the day before the 65th anniversary of Rosa Parks' refusal to give up her seat on a segregated bus shows that we really have not made as much progress as we would have hoped. Let's cover one more story briefly before we go to break, Warren, and that's the story of the ECFA's State of Giving Survey. Yeah, every year the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability does a study of its membership to see how giving had gone the year before. Uh, This year's report found that giving was up 1.5% in 2019 over the previous year. And when annualized over a five-year period, it was a 2.5% annual giving from 2014 to 2019. Well, that sounds like good news. Yeah, it's good in that giving has been up for the past five years, but the rest of the story is that, as I just said, the growth in 2019 was the slowest in that five-year period, and the annual report doesn't cover 2020 with its COVID pandemic and the economic toll of shutdowns and unemployment. But the ECFA did a supplemental study. It did, but that study was a good bit smaller. It did, though, report 
that uh, growth does seem to have continued to increase. The supplemental report found that almost two-thirds reported cash giving that's higher or the same as 2019. However, 52% reported declines in other income, including special event income. The study also found that there has not been uh, a lot of layoffs among ministries and churches. Staffing levels remain more or less constant. Well, we're going to take another break, but when we return, good news from Colorado Springs. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, Warren, you've got another good news story for us. I do, and this one comes from Colorado Springs, near where you are, Natasha, and it comes from our Colorado Springs-based writer, Steve Raby. It's the story of Mary's Home, a charity in Colorado Springs that helps single moms. Steve profiled one of the women there, Nina. We didn't use her last name to protect her privacy. She's been a resident since April of 2019, so coming up on two years now, and has found safety and stability that just wasn't present in her previously chaotic and fairly transient life. Uh, But while she's been there, she's learned life skills, she's received counseling, she's taken nursing classes, and in fact, has earned her CNA certification. That means that she's a certified nurse assistant, and that enables her to work as a home health care provider. So this is not a short-term solution for these women. It sounds like they can stay as long as they need to in order to develop the skills uh, to live productively on their own. Yeah, they that's exactly right. And the progress can even take place in stages. So for example, Nina recently moved out of Mary's home uh, to a, an apartment that Mary's home opened for moms who have progressed to a greater level of independence. And by the way, Nina said that she's not content to just be a nurse assistant, even though that's a great step for her. Uh, she's now studying to become a registered nurse. That is an incredible story. Uh, but that kind of work is really hard and it's quite expensive. Yeah, you're right. And that's one of the reasons that I like this story that Steve Raby did. He gets into the challenges and into the finances of this ministry. Uh, it, it The ministry, in fact, has about a $3 million budget, and Steve sort of digs into that just a little bit. I recommend that our listeners check out the story on the Ministry Watch website. And by the way, this is a ministry started by a church in Colorado Springs. One of the reasons that we do this kind of story is so others will read them and maybe go and do likewise. Yes, let's hope some do. It's so needed. Now, Warren, we're coming to the end of our time together, but before we go, can you say something about the new Ministries Making a Difference column? 
I can. Uh, I'm excited about the traction that this column is getting. Christina Darnell is doing a great job with highlighting really quick stories of ministries making a difference in the world every week. It sort of uh, just puts out a lot more names uh, for our listeners to to take a look at what they're doing. It's a digest format. Uh, that means that sometimes the stories just have two or three sentences, but there's a link if you want to dig deeper. Uh, this week, for example, she features the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, a ministry called Mercy Chefs a food ministry that has served 5 million meals this year, plus the work of the Church of the Nazarene and what they're doing to help people in addiction recovery. We're posting these Ministries Making a Difference columns every Monday, though I should say that we're going to take off the week between Christmas and New Year's. Well, Warren, we have to close our time together. Do you have anything else before we go? Well, just two quick things. First, on Tuesday, I'll have Julie Roys of the Roys Report on our midweek Ministry Watch Extra podcast episode, and we'll count down the top 10 stories of 2020. I recorded that conversation with Julie yesterday, and it was a lot of fun. I hope you'll tune in. Also, I want to mention that, you know, we don't often ask for money on this podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we believe that you should support your local church first, your favorite ministry second, ministries that we hope you'll carefully research, and then and only then, if you have a little left over, we hope you'll maybe think about us. But I would add that if you're still listening now near the end of the podcast, you must have gotten something out of it, or you would have tuned out a long time ago. If that's the case, I hope you'll consider supporting us with your prayers, with a rating on your podcast app, and maybe with a financial gift as well. To give to Ministry Watch, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. And please know that we're grateful for all of your support, no matter what form it takes. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Steve Raby, Adele M. Banks, Warren Smith, Christina Darnell, Emily Miller, Bob Smatima, Alejandra Molina, and Roxanne Stone. And thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times and Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. you.